Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Callie Kaplan. Hello, Callie. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing great. Callie's out on the West Coast. She's out there for the uh, the Lakers game on Tuesday night. This is Tuesday morning as we're recording this. Um, so that'll be big fun for, for Callie out there. Uh, she's already had some fun out there this weekend. Yeah, no, it might not be fun for the Lakers, though, or for the wow. Mavs. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Callie's on that bandwagon. Here we go. Well, after the uh, Mavs' biggest win of the season, I can see why. Also joining us, uh, our old pal Evan Grant. Evan, how are you? Um, just great here on Labor Watch. He's on Labor Watch. Evan's in labor. Uh, y'all didn't know all these years he's been in labor. That, that describes the profile. Uh, no, just kidding. Come on. Uh, Evan's uh, got his dauber down. He's wanting this baseball thing to be over. So uh, we're going we're gonna to bear with Evan while he, uh, he, he nurses this thing to fruition. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here in the and maybe in a, maybe as as we're we're taping this. Also joining us, David Moore. Hi, David. How are you? My energy level seems to be a bit higher than Evans at the moment, Kevin. Well, pretty much that's everybody's, right? <laughs> everybody's energy level a little bit higher than Evans. Uh, it just depends on how close you are to lunchtime. He's more than uh, a morose at the moment. I'm getting concerned. Yeah. Did you he... call me John Morosi? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm fine. Last night was a lot of sitting around, and it was completely predictable that, hey, we got a deadline. All right, let's extend it. I'm, I'm going to ask the paper tonight. That's going to be my, do, my new deal. Well, I know we've got a deadline, but can we extend it to tomorrow? I, I, that's been I've my always found them very accommodating years. on that. Yeah. Every time I've asked that, they, they say, oh, sure, no problem. We know so you they, need it, so sure. They come up with those artificial deadlines. Oh, let's make it 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 7.30, 7.45. Those aren't real deadlines. Come on. The paper goes out at uh, 11.30. Let's go. Let's push it. Come on. Exactly. They don't go for that kind of stuff. They don't go for that. All right. Well, we're going to start off with uh, go back to Callie and talk about these Mavericks. Uh, so, so Callie, I'm watching the game uh, Sunday against the Warriors. They are down by like, oh, I don't know. 600 points uh it <laughs> approximately was, yes approximately that's what it felt like it was brutal a brutal game and then out of nowhere they fashioned a tremendous comeback led by none other than spencer dinwiddie the spencer dinwiddie that i had denigrated so much in that uh, trade with washington in which the mavericks sent chris Porzingis uh for davis davis Bretans and uh and they also sent a second round draft pick then he's been pretty good lately i gotta say so is Bertans too he's shooting almost 40 percent from three in his first four games so he's not afraid to let it fly as jason kidd said no he's not afraid to let it fly it's a good thing too because he can't do anything else uh and he and he knows that too he said in his yeah. introductory press conference that he needs teammates to set him up find him for catch and shoot threes and then he'll be able to do it, which he's followed through so far. Yeah, it's kind of like having a guy you need an ambulance for. You know, you get him out there, and you get him to a certain spot. And okay, now let him shoot. Okay, that's good. Now we'll get him an ambulance and move him down the other end of the floor. Uh, yeah, they Dinwiddie has been very aggressive. You know, especially if you if you're when you're watching these real games as I am on the the Mavericks. Uh, Derek Harper has always favored guys. Who, who like to get in the paint and, uh, and aggressive players, uh, especially when you're you're down. You see so many teams in today's NBA, when the, a team is down, they just start jacking up threes because it's the fastest way back, right? But that doesn't always really work, obviously. And uh, and I think that the point that Derek made, it always makes, and it, that the Mavericks showed in that game and Dinwiddie proved in that game is that, no, nah, if, you, if you're aggressive here and you play good defense, you can get back in the game this way, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, it's kind of like the story of their season almost, is that after the kind of a sluggish eh start, they started being more aggressive and playing more defense, and look where we are there. Uh, Ten games over five hundred, I think it is right now. So it's not a bad place to be in the stretch run. Not a bad place to be. They're in the, they're fifth uh, in the West right now, and then you would obviously really want to get up to at least four. Uh, you right at this point, Callie, what do you what do you think their prospects are? Do you think that four is possible? Is three out of out of uh, the question? 
I think four is possible. I think three is a little bit far because I think Memphis now is kind of closing in on taking over Golden State at number two. And I think as of Sunday night after that game, I think Golden State was seven games ahead of the Mavs. And so that's a pretty sizable gap to close when you only have 21 left. But I think four is still reasonable because they're, I don't have the standings in front of me, but about two, two and a half games behind the Jazz right now after their loss on Friday. They still have two games against the Jazz head-to-head left and then, what, 19 more to to play beyond that. And so it's it's not out of the question. It's definitely going to take a little bit of uh, hope on the Jazz's part that they start slumping because they've had two good games out of the All-Star break now, but definitely not out of the question. David, I wanted to ask you about the the – because I've, I've been so impressed this season uh, by the, the job done by this coaching staff. Um, and, you know, Jason Kidd's you know, record as a head coach was a little bit uh, spotty. Uh, and I think that's being kind to say that. Uh, and and now he, he came here and he assembled a really good staff. Uh, and he seems to be uh, working well with that staff. I I, I don't know. And, and, and Callie, I guess I should ask you this first. How much, how much of this was – his idea on these guys, how much of it was Nico Harrison's idea? How much of it was Mark Cuban's, how he assembled this staff? I think it was a solid amount Jason's ideas because you look, he has connections with a lot of them, whether it's like Sean Sweeney and Greg St. Jean from working at past coaching stops. Um, I think he, he knew Igor as former head coaches in the league. And I think that definitely helps that the Luca connection was there for that. And, he had just coached Jared Dudley for two seasons in LA um, as an assistant. And so I think you look and there's a lot of connections, whether it was suggestions from others in certain instances, I'm not sure, but definitely it has Jason's fingerprints on it from his past um, stops and connections. Yeah. Okay. So David, uh, when you, when you look at that and see a guy do that, uh, I think it's a little unusual, isn't it? Uh, I, I, Jason Kidd has always been kind of a, a mystery to me. I've always been kind of, uh, uh, fascinated by him i was fascinated by him as a player i loved watching him play uh because to watch him on the floor and how smart he was and the things he did that were unconventional and and uh and how he transformed his game by, by becoming a, a great three-point shooter when he'd been a bad shooter his whole career you know all of those things and then now you're you're seeing kind of the same metamorphosis almost as a head coach well i think jason in my mind more so than a lot of star players recognize the things he didn't do well. You know, I, I think a lot of times you, you brought up the three-point shooting, and, and I think that's, that's a key. You know, that so many star players don't work on the things they don't do that well. They just avoid them because they don't want to be put in a setting of not being the alpha dog and being the dominant player. And you have to work on those things in practice. And, and I think Jason Kidd always had an awareness of of – one, he felt he was a great player, and he was, and, the, and history bears that out, but of understanding what he didn't do well and how to approach it. And, and I think you've seen his coaching career kind of follow the same. Um, you know, from what I heard about Jason, and I think this is uh, naturally so, and, and I think you saw it with Avery Johnson here when he was a head coach, maybe it was a little too assertive, overplayed his hand early as a head coach, believing that, well, these guys will buy in. I just came off the court. Uh, I've got to be, you know, I've got to assert myself the same way I did when I was a player sort of thing and didn't really do a good job with it. Uh, but, but in my mind, Jason has always been very willing to get the right people around him. And he's comfortable enough with who he is not to be worried about, well, you know, is this going to take away from, you know, your your area? And is this person going to get credit when you should be getting credit for it? I, I've never found him particularly, look, everybody has an ego, but I've never found him particularly uh, fall victim to that. So I, I think he is uh, more collaborative. And a lot of that is the way he played the game. And, and I think you're seeing it in how this coaching staff has come together. But, but I do think he's learned as he's gone along as a coach. I, I think his... Uh, touch and the way he interacts with players now, from what I can tell, is different than what it was when he first started out. Yeah, I just have to believe that at this point, if the Mavericks can continue this the trend and if they play well, and let's say they get a couple of rounds into the playoffs, um, uh, considering the, the the magnitude of the trade that was made, uh, and it wasn't like you were bringing in star players uh, for certain, even though they have played well, didn't when he has played awfully well so far, and then Bertans as well. Um, that 
he had to be in the running for, for coach of the year at this point. I mean, to, to completely turn a team's identity around from an offensive team to a defensive team. And essentially you have the same players. You don't have, it wasn't like they had a huge roster makeover to, to enable that. I just think it's uh, it's very impressive. Um, and kind of makes me feel bad that I didn't uh, call for Rick Carlisle's exit sooner. You know, so I, I feel uh, guilty about that now after, 10 years of them wandering around in the wilderness. It's all so, right. Anyway. If nobody were to listen to you anyway. Well, that's true. They don't. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I have people write me all the time. Why don't you, why aren't you tougher on this stuff? Why don't you do this? I, and I, my reply always is, do you really think that these organizations are going to do what I tell them to, to do? You know, first of all, they would be crazy to do that. And and secondly, they, they don't pay any attention. So, yeah. Well, Kevin, if it makes you feel any better, the Lakers are also feeling pretty bad right now because they don't have Jason Kidd. Their defense is slumping and they have to play against Jason Kidd tonight. They do. They do have to play. I mean, and the boy, the, and the Lakers have got their own problems. My gosh. Uh, who would have <laughs> thought all this is would have happened to the mighty Lakers? They have, they have really fallen. And even with LeBron, this is been an embarrassment uh i think it, it is interesting though you know when when you because t- there was a lot of talk about well the, certainly the lakers shouldn't have done the, the russell westbrook acquisition that was a that was a huge failure and yet look what's happened with the 76ers going out and getting james harden who went in the tank once again with his second team he went in the tank with houston to force a trade goes into the tank with the nets to force a trade and now he, he goes to the 76ers and what was it his second game he had a triple double uh, it's, it's just phenomenal. And of course, now there's, they're the odds on favorite, not only in the East, but you know, maybe to go all the way. Uh, it just, it's an amazing thing to, to or it also shows that you, you can't always say that, Oh, this is the way to go. You shouldn't, you should try to develop your own. You shouldn't try to make a, a blockbuster trade at the deadline. You just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Callie, think- just a, just a quick reminder here. I know you're still new around here. Um, but one thing we never want to do is is do anything to make Kevin feel better. Um, so uh, next time you might want to consider that before you before you jump in with uh, with any kind of compliment there. All right. No, that wasn't really absolutely. it wasn't really a compliment. Okay, Evan. she was just explaining something. But anyway, uh, so it, that's going to do it for our math segment. We want to before Callie has to get out to go do some actual work, and like the rest of us. Uh, so uh, Callie's got shoot around. She's got shoot around. Callie's going down. She's working yeah, on her. I'm actually working on my jump shot at shoot. She's around. working on not her, just uh, watching on her three pointer. Yeah, uh, we want to talk. I want to do a little something that came up from a, a, a longtime Penn State reporter was asked by fans to, to list his his favorite coaches to interview and his least favorite, and he listed for any reason he wanted, and that got a lot of legs, and it was pretty funny to read through that. And so I wanted to ask all our panelists here. Just their favorite coach to interview and their least favorite to interview. So, Callie, since you're going to be the first out here, I want you to go first and say, who's been in your very short career your favorite coach to interview and your least favorite? Well, on that note, I'd like to defer to somebody else first because I'm still trying to think about my favorite. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a front runner. All right, you so can defer. I, people have way more experience than me on this podcast. I would like to hear what they have to say while All I right. uh, so go I'll through let, the last couple of years of interviews in my head. <laughs> I'll let Evan go first then. Evan, who's your favorite that you've ever interviewed and your least favorite? Well, I don't know why we're doing it to me next because I'm like the second youngest in terms of experience here. So um, I should pass to you guys. But I will say that uh, I, I thought about this long and hard, Kevin. And um, I, there, there's a there's there's two elements to this, right? If favorite coach in terms of a quote or favorite manager in terms of a quote and favorite manager just to cover. Um, I, my favorite manager to cover – was Renee Lashman with the man with the Marlins, and there really isn't a doubt he wasn't he wasn't the world's best manager. He was a finalist for the Rangers job when uh, when Johnny Oates got it, I believe, or when Kevin Kennedy got it. Um, but he was fun. He was fun to be around. You could um, you could barb throw some barbs at him, you know, in a smart ass way, and he could throw them back, and it was it was all good fun. And so I like that fun give and take his, his quotes weren't great. He, he, he didn't have the best ability to just kind of walk you through a, uh, a thought. Um, but he was fun and funny. Uh, as far as a quote goes, um, listen, it's hard to beat Ron Washington just because of 
the amount of color that he offered and everything he said, whether it was uh, when he got when he got on a roll trying to explain something, whether it made sense or not, there was so much passion and so many good um, little nuggets that came out of it that your your notebook was filled up. So on, on the favorite side, I'd have to split between those two. Um, on the least favorite side, I wanted to say it would probably be a college coach that I had covered at one point in time, but then I went back and I looked at some of these guys that I covered and Spurrier was a, was a quote machine. You know, you could always goad Spurrier into saying something. Um, uh, Ray Goff, bless his heart at Georgia. He was a nice guy, but he was just kind of adult. Um, and I Don't haven't qualified for I'm sure he appreciates that characterization. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice guy, but adult. <laughs> he wasn't the brightest guy as, as a coach. Um, I think we know who would say if we asked him his favorite and least favorite reporters. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. But, I, you know, I think it's obvious who my least favorite guy to, to cover is, and, and that was Buck Showalter, just because um, I felt like Buck tried to make your job harder at every stretch of the imagination. Um, I felt like he, uh, he, he played media elements against one another. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure that there were 100% of the time when I believed his answers. So... That made it really difficult. There was a credibility issue for me with Buck Showalter, and I, I've heard from many people that he's changed and that he's done things differently since going to Baltimore and now with the Mets. Um, so I hope he has uh, because I, it was not a fun experience. All right, that's that's very nice. Then David Moore, how about you? What do you got? Well, let me say, Callie's had a chance to interview three other coaches during Evan's answer, so she may have. <laughs> She may be able to, to, to come up with this next. Um, I, I kept it. I just kept it to the local scene um, enough there. Let's start with least favorite. And this doesn't mean he's not a Buck Showalter sort of guy. Uh, I like this guy. He's a good guy, but he's just a deadly dull interview because that is what, what he wanted to be. And that was former Cowboys coach Jason Garrett. Um, you know, he took... Uh, again, and and what's from a from a media standpoint, what's a little more frustrating by it is, I've seen him and been in situations. I know he has a personality. He's interesting. He can say interesting things. But the moment he got the job, he took great pride in staying on point and being disciplined, and he felt that was a part of his job. So he went out of his way to focus on process and really give you no answer to anything uh, and show nothing about what his true thoughts were. And he was very good at that. But again, it was in every single setting at that point. Uh, He purposely felt uh, it would be to the detriment of the team if I show any emotion or or I break and give you something. And and as far as being a head coach and being in charge, I need to be in control of all interview sessions. It would take great pride in finding different ways not to say anything. As far as the most engaging, uh, interesting coach on the Dallas scene, I would go back to the first coach of the Dallas Mavericks and Dick Mata. Um, he... Um, he, you know, he would have a temper, uh, but he never held a grudge. Uh, he was very colorful in his explanations, uh, but very insightful. Uh, you know, w- would get in and explain the game to you, uh, was never dismissive, didn't like some questions, uh, could be passive aggressive, but was always in an entertaining, uh, thoughtful and insightful way. So those would be my two. I like both of those. Uh, Kyle, are you ready yet or you want me to go with mine? Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm ready. I can do it. Um, All right, Callie. Uh, Evan inspired me by picking maybe not the best quote, but and definitely not the best quote, but somebody that I just find really fascinating to cover is, this might be a cop-out, but Jason Kidd. I think kind of knowing his past off the court, on the court, and in coaching, and seeing him now just be this like very calm, very like player-friendly coach, um, and it's clearly working on the court. And he's transformed them. He's transformed how they play basketball on the court. And he's kind of transformed just the vibe and the demeanor of the team off the court. They seem a lot more tight knit. There doesn't seem to be a lot of 
you know, tension that we might have seen last year, especially in hindsight. I think that he's super interesting for me right now going forward, not because of what he says necessarily, because he does kind of go out, his way, go out of his way to not really give specific examples or stories and not always the most punchy of quotes, but I think he's probably the most interesting kind of figure that I've been able to follow. In terms of best quotes, I would probably give it to Rodney Webb, who was a he was a head coach at Rockwell High School and I was covering high schools and now he works at Denton Geyer, I think. And he just he loved to talk and he loved to give you story ideas and he loved to just kind of know the gossip, give you the gossip. And that was always very helpful when you have to cover like 200 coaches in the Dallas area. Um, and least favorite, this was not a hard thought. <laughs> it was Terry Gamble at Allen a couple seasons ago. Um, his interviews, and maybe it was like a little bit Jason Garrett-esque where he didn't want to, he just wanted to be disciplined and he wanted to, you know, just kind of read the script every single time. But it was literally like the script was like you're trying to write a 10-page paper in college and you ran out of things to say on page three. So you just repeat the same sentences in different words, maybe sometimes the same words, you know, make the make the font size a little bit bigger. Like he literally would just repeat himself after a win. I could tell you exactly what he would say after every single win. You could like write the quote down before you even talk to him. Um, but it was a problem because you had to quote Alan in a lot of stories and a lot of non-game stories that were about trends in the area and stuff like that. You couldn't not have an Alan quote in there and the Alan quotes are just terrible. So Terry Gamble, sorry if you're listening to this, which you're definitely not, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was it, not always a super enjoyable experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I can believe that. Well, yeah, that's the thing about well, high school coaches. Callie, yeah. forget, just Kevin, just stop for a minute because I want to also give Callie some praise because I believe her answer started with Evan gave me some inspiration. Oh, yeah, so, 100%. I learned from my last little interjection that I can't praise Kevin, but I can praise Evan. So I, I'm learning here on the that's fly. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. And now, now for Kevin, who's going to tell us that his favorite coach was um... Evan. First of all, Callie's trying to get out of here, and you're slowing the whole <laughs> process down. If you would oh, just right. shut shoot around up, yeah. that would be great. Evan, my, my shots. Not, I'm not going to make any shots tonight. Yeah, I'm sorry, Callie. <laughs> all right. So uh, my my favorite coach. And listen, I have to have to point out here. I haven't had a beat in like I don't know 30 years. So, uh, but the, my favorite coach ever to talk to, there's just no question, was Barry Switzer. Uh, no one uh, told better stories, was more willing to tell good stories. Uh, to tell you, he has a photographic memory. He remembers everything that ever happened at any time in his life. He can call this stuff up, and it's always hilarious. You you just get him going, and, it, and he's, he's unstoppable. When he was the coach of the Cowboys, uh, the great Frank Lux and I once had a conversation about him and, he, and Frank said, I can't understand why these columnists are all so pissed off about the fact that, that Barry's such a lousy coach. It's like, I don't care if he's a lousy coach or not. He's interesting. And I said, exactly. That's exactly my point. What more could a reporter want than an interesting coach? Uh, so, uh, that, that's, that's number one for me. Uh, and he's not even, there's not even a close second. Uh, the worst coach, there's, a, there's thousands of them out there, uh, and most of them were high school coaches. I can remember my first newspaper job, the South Houston high school football coach. Every time I went in to interview him, he was sitting there in his socks, which was bad enough, complaining and moaning around. And every time I interviewed him, he, he would ask me if I had any eligibility left because his team was so bad. It's like, this is a really bad line, coach. Quit using it. Uh, but I'm going to go with somebody who's local, and I know that Evan has already already used him. But I'm going to I'm going to second his notion of of Buck Showalter simply because I, I like Buck personally. I always go along with him just fine. We always had nice conversations. The problem with Buck professionally is that he would tell you one thing on the record and the exact opposite thing off the record. I can remember asking him specifically about a player. And him telling me, first of all, off the record, this guy can't play his position. He can't do this. He can't do that. Uh, and then I said, okay, now I'm writing about this guy. So what can you tell me? Oh, he's a tremendous player. We love him. He's great here in the clubhouse. Went on and on about how great he was. And I couldn't use any of that because I knew that he didn't believe any of it. Uh, so I think it's interesting for – I think it's it's uh, enlightening anyway for fans to realize that when we're talking to these coaches and managers and uh, assistants across – the sports realm, 
We're not always getting the truth from these people, just so you know. You know, coaches lie. I was really surprised by this, Kevin, because I thought somewhere in your in your two picks would be Dana X Bible. Ha ha ha. Dana. That's DX Bible to you, pal. Okay. Let me use in this first name. Callie. Callie's, Callie's out of here now. Thanks, <laughs> Callie. Thanks for coming. We'll check you on the other side, okay? Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So now we're moving over to our uh, Cowboys segment. Uh, David, that's uh, the old uh, combine this week. Uh, we had the Senior Bowl last week, the combine this week. Um, what kind of contingent are the Cowboys going to have out there? Who all is going to be there? Well, the entire coaching staff, uh, scouting department, uh, they'll be conducting interviews out there. Um, the, the workouts are a little different than they have been in the past. And uh, this is all with the understanding there was not a combine last year uh, because of, of COVID. But, uh, you know, this we're here recording this on Tuesday morning. And, and Mike McCarthy just met the uh, the national media. All of the head coaches go through the, the uh, combine uh, wash cycle. And uh, he was one of the first up. Uh, he did announce that... Uh, they had eight players who had off-season surgery, and, oh, Dak Prescott was one of them. He I had, just saw that. Oh, my gosh. He had cleanup surgery on his left shoulder, which is his non-throwing shoulder. Uh, it won't impact his ability to start the off-season program at the same time. Uh, he'll be, um, like I said, no, no impact as far as what he'll be doing off-season from this point forward. So uh, he had that, and, of course, he, he did address that the uh, – the love triangle he finds himself in with uh, Jerry Jones and Sean Payton and himself. While he said he would prefer not to be a part of this, uh, it's not going to impact anything they do on a day-to-day basis until it does. Do you want to? I, uh, I added that last part. He didn't you, say that. You did. You want to illuminate that a little bit? I, I guess that escaped me. That he has. Uh, is he? He's a big fan of Sean Payton. Is that? Is that the case? Or is, is well, Sean no. He just said. Him? He said. You know, it's a narrative I don't want to be a part of. Uh, but he said that him and Jerry Jones briefly discussed it and we laughed about it and moved on. I don't see it as any type of talk topic that gets in the way of us winning. So, um, <laughs> what, what else are you going to say? It, it looms out there. Um, and, and, you know, so does, uh, Dan Quinn, who they recruited heavily to get back as a defensive coordinator and extended his contract. So, um, uh, Mike McCarthy's not just looking over one shoulder. He's looking over both shoulders. <laughs> he needs more shoulders. That's what he needs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's just a riot. Uh, I, I hope Mike's got some thick skin because this is this is just heating up now. Uh, it will only get – especially the, the only way he can make any of this go away is to come out of the gates fast. Uh, if they come out and they run off six or seven wins, then then all the, uh, the Sean Payton stuff goes away and if they, and if they manage to keep it up. Uh, over the course of the season, but well, yeah, and they were twelve and five last year, and you're and he, and he's you were getting still then exactly, <laughs> and rightfully so as it turned out, the uh, number three seed and twelve and five, and, yeah, and it's like oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Not good enough. Not good enough. Okay, um, all right. So uh, the, the, going into this uh, um, period here, because we're going to have, I think, um, um, is it March the twenty second uh, when the the calendar f- officially starts on the new. Uh, NFL season is that correct? Uh, well, but but uh, free agency is going to be like March fourteenth through sixteenth. You have a, a exclusive window to work uh, to work out a deal, and then it actually hits. I believe like March seventeenth. Uh, so right in that time frame, so mid March. So in, in two weeks here, uh, you're going to make a, some determination. You know the the Cowboys have twenty one free agents. All of okay. those will not be back. Some that they want to be back, they will not be able to afford to bring back. And, and that's the process they're in now, because then that determines who they pursue when the free agency market begins in a couple of weeks here. I want us to go through here with each of the panelists. Callie's not with us uh, anymore. I don't mean that in a literal, <laughs> literal sense. She's, wow, that was a, that was dark. <laughs> she was so young, too. Uh, and anyway, uh, I want us to talk about, I'm going to give us a name, and then we're gonna all going to give a thumbs up, thumbs down on whether that guy will be back with the Cowboys this fall. And we're going to start with, of course, number one on the list, Amari Cooper, the wide receiver. We'll start with Evan. Evan, what do you say? Back or no? No. Evan says he won't be back. 
David, I mean, you, you said thumbs up or thumbs he, down. He took I, you literally, and and you know that's good. That's good podcasting. Right? Yeah, that's good podcasting stuff. So I, maybe I, next I time, give, maybe next point. time, use better word choice, Mister Column Salad. All right. Gonna, so here's the deal. Give you good points for listening to me. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'll be back. I I, I think that uh, the um, despite the fact that it was you who led the charge to bring him here, yes, uh, however long I ago did. it was, he's certainly fallen in the uh, in the pecking order of the receivers. So um, I don't think he's back. Yeah, David. I will say no, and I will. Also say to me, you know, we've talked about this in past years and what they do with Amari Cooper is an example to me that goes just beyond Amari Cooper. I've maintained that they've let quality defensive players go in recent years to hang on to offensive players and then just may do on defense saying, well, effort's going to make up for it. You know, hard, you know, just go hard, go every play, a high energy uh, you need your more talented, skilled players on the offensive side of the ball, but we can compensate on the defensive side of the ball. I think they actually have the nucleus of a pretty good defense now, and I think if they're really going to balance this team, they're going to have to make some tough choices on offense and let some good offensive players go so they can still keep this defense intact and not be in a position of churning defensively uh, a significant portion of that side of the ball every year. So I, I think he is gone, and I think this will also be part of a new approach on a more balanced team overall. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm going to say he's not back. It's just a, a simple matter of numbers. You can't pay him $20 million. I think it's just it's just crazy. You, he's, not the, he's not the leading receiver on the team as it is. He doesn't have the temperament for that. I, I think he's been just pretty much everything they th- could have hoped he would be. It's just what happened is they upgraded the position tremendously since they acquired him. You know, they, they added C.D. Lamb. They added Michael Gallup. They added Cedric Wilson. These guys are all very viable receivers. And all of the I would say that all those guys were better than the crop of receivers they had when they acquired uh, Amari in the first place. So, no question. And they set up his contract to make this decision this year, right? Yes. So that's the other point. I mean, they, this is not something that snuck up on them. There was a reason they structured his contract the way they did. Yes, exactly. All right, let's go to the next guy on my list here, Dalton Schultz, the tight end, who's ended up being uh, – I, I thought at first he might be a good player for the Cowboys. He, be, he looked like a cipher for a couple of, of years. He just didn't do anything out there at all other than maybe block a little bit. Uh, didn't catch the ball all, at all. And then all of a sudden turned himself into one of the best two-way tight ends in the league. Um, so, uh, David, I'll start with you this time. Do, do they keep him or not? I think they would like to keep him. I don't think they keep him either. Um, Again, I go back to that number, 21 free agents. And these are some significant players in that free agent pile uh, that we're talking about. So um, I I think that this is a good enough draft for tight ends. Uh, You now have Blake Jarwin, who they paid the money to a couple of years ago, who, who you know, missed a majority of the season with a, a knee injury, is now back in a position to contribute. I think they will uh, address that position uh, with a, a cheaper player in free agency in the draft. So I believe Dalton Schultz is a no. You won't be back. Evan? I'm not sure that I feel qualified enough to offer an opinion here because I just don't know – how much I can say I, that every day, Evan, and and here yet I plug along. Yeah, and that, that doesn't do stop that. Kevin from weighing in on anything. That's exactly. true. Although exactly. the few times that he's right, Kevin does like to say, as I wrote on January twenty eighth of nineteen eighty eight. I believe I'm the only one here who writes a column every year saying all the things that I got wrong. Well, that's because you've got enough to that's fill it all up. That's because you've got a lot wrong. Um, <laughs> but I, I got to, I, I kind of got to defer to David here. I mean, I, I, I think that the, if the Cowboys have the investment in Jarwin, as much as I liked what Dalton Schultz did this year, it's just hard for me to see them keeping both, you know, both tight ends. I, I can see them tagging uh, Schultz simply because the the numbers wouldn't be that high for a tight end, uh, and so you're not. I believe that would put him at like twelve million if they did that. 
that seems like a fairly reasonable number for a guy who's been very productive. He's he's been a, a kind of a safety valve uh, for for Dak, uh, and so I, I I think they would be reluctant to give up on that. Uh, but you know, I don't I don't feel good about. it. I'm going to say he's back, but I don't I don't feel good about it. Uh, all right, let's move over to the other side of the ball, Demarcus Lawrence. They're clearly a better team with him. Um, but again, you're talking of a cap head of $19 million. Now, it's a, a little different. You would still have to carry um, more going forward because of the way his contract structured than Amari Cooper. And, and that's why, to me, in some ways, Amari Cooper is an easier decision because it's a cleaner uh, cut and what it cleans up cap-wise. Um, you, you would still be carrying some some – money on Demarcus Lawrence going forward. Um, to, to me, I think this decision comes down to if you're not going to keep him, then you're going to need to keep Randy Gregory, right? And would you, on the other side of that is, are you willing to keep Randy Gregory over Demarcus Lawrence? You know, they're both basically the same age. Uh, one has a much stronger resume of what he's done uh, I know people are intrigued by Randy Gregory, um, but he hasn't played a full season. Uh, he hasn't come close to doing what uh, Demarcus Lawrence does on a on a you know week in week out basis. Um, personally, I would I would sit there and say, while I don't like it, I'm going to make it work with Demarcus Lawrence. I'm going to keep him, and if that means I don't bring Gregory back or he doesn't give us enough of a discount because we carried him and kept him on the roster and paid him when a lot of teams would not. If we lose Gregory because of that, fine. We need to, we need to keep the guy who has a, a, a better track record season in and season out. So I'm going to say he's going to be here, but it's a, it's a big, big discussion. Yeah. Evan? I'm going to say it's not a big discussion and he's here. End of story. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. Uh, I- here, here's and that, David makes a great point for me about the, the difference between Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence, uh, and from the contribution side of it, and for what he brings to the field, and what I believe he brings to the locker room, and um, because he is in many ways still the heart of that defense, as great a player as Micah Parsons is, Demarcus Lawrence is the guy who is is pretty much the soul of that uh, of that defense still. My problem with Demarcus Lawrence is I, I'm just not confident he can remain healthy anymore, and and that is that is the, the the lone issue for me. If I'm deciding between Demarcus and Randy, it's it's like no, it's Demarcus, right? Uh, because because Randy Gregory is a guy that we, we haven't been able to count, and he's not a three down player either. You know, he he really is not as effective against. He's not nearly as effective against the run as Demarcus is, and that's been one of the Cowboys' chief problems is stopping the run even with DeMarcus. So when they lose him, that's another issue for them. If you, if you let DeMarcus walk, then you're going to have to really come up with somebody as a run stopper. Now, that, that is imperative that you draft a run stopper, and that probably means you have to use that first-round pick on one uh, because I think, you know, and, and maybe maybe not. Maybe you could get that in the second round or even the third round. But I think it, 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 it opens up a pretty big hole. So it's a it's a big question for me whether they do that or not. I, I – but I thought you I, summed I, it up I, very uh, – in, in a very rare move, I thought you summed it up very succinctly, and then you went much further on. Well, who's that's the what better I tend to do. Who's like, the better performer? The column's like 900 words, man. It's not like uh, 200. Uh, no, the better, and, better the, and the issue for him at defensive end is Dorrance Armstrong, who's a good, solid, rotational player, is also a free agent. Yes, he is. So uh, Randy Gregory and Dorrance Armstrong are free agents. Demarcus Lawrence is not – are you going to cut Demarcus Lawrence to keep maybe one of those free agents? So, I mean, it's that those are the questions they've been wrestling with for weeks. Yeah, I, it's, that, that's a very tough call for me. And as you said, David, the, the Amari Cooper thing is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, just, this is just what you do. It's just business. Nothing personal, just business. All right, we're going to move on from our uh, Cowboys segment now and into the Rangers and Major League Baseball. And, and, and you know, what we may be on the very verge of is the fact that, that Evan will be going to spring training, and we're all glad of that. Uh, and he was he was there for a while on the boondoggle, and now he is back. But it looks like that uh, that they are closing in uh, the union, 
and MLB on a deal of some sort, and we may have that worked out any minute, right, Evan? Um, well, I mean, there's been a decided um, uh, elimination, let's say, of uh, of play-by-play um, of negotiations, which to me indicates that the sides are talking, even if they're doing it via Zoom or via some other manner other than the way that we had seen it reported last night, which was every time Rob Manfred uh, went over to the player's side to exchange a proposal, we got a a shot of Rob walking across the parking lot in Jupiter, Florida. But what I would say is when they're talking and there's no reports, that's probably a good thing because it means they're hammering down on issues. I, 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 I think where we're at right now is that um, based on the things I've seen, I think I, I hate to categorize these things in terms of wins for players or wins for owners because I ultimately the the idea is to get as close to a fair deal for both sides as possible that works for both sides. And, and the one thing that I think that based on what I've seen with significant increases in minimum salaries – with the with the um, inclusion of a bonus pool for pre-arbitration players that could be anywhere between twenty and thirty million, um, and with the uh, the establishment of some kind of draft lottery to prohibit teams from just racing to the bottom of the league to try and get the first pick, I, I think that the players have done right by the youngest players in the game, and I think that was most important. And I think secondly they have done right by the product, which is try and do some things that guarantee integrity in the game and de-incentivize losing um, and make it about what it's supposed to be about, which is competition. So, I, you know, it's we always talk about how the owners are supposed to be the quote-unquote stewards of the game. Um, I don't think that's been the case for a long time. But I think if, if anything, this has stripped it bare once and for all that, you know, stewardship of the game basically lies in the players' hands. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's interesting because, you know, one of my biggest complaints about any union in sports is it always been that the, the players just think about, oh, can we get more money? Just get us more money. And they, they weren't thinking about the older players. They weren't thinking about safety issues and, and football in particular. You know, it's, it's just always been disappointing the way they, they've acted. So it's, it is good to see uh, baseball players taking care of their own and, and uh, when the owners don't. And it is remarkable uh, when you see these people. I, I just don't understand the sentiment. That I know fans always complain and think that athletes make so much money. And so it's millionaires uh, – you know, arguing with billionaires. Uh, yes, I, I understand all that, but there's just simply no way you can side with the owners uh, in, in baseball and in any of this stuff. It's just this, all, this all comes down ridiculous. to a perception, Kevin. And, it, and and I've said this, and I think you and I have had this conversation offline. But you know, w- what people see, whether it's baseball or football or basketball, they see people playing a game that they love, right? That those fans love, that they feel like, oh, they're playing a game for a living. And they can identify with that. They can identify because that's their dream. Nobody dreams of living the life of a billionaire. They'd love to be billionaires, but nobody has any experience like playing at billionaire or anything like that. And for some reason, they can't see the reality of the situation, which is that billionaires are about squeezing out. They don't get to be billionaires by saying... Eh, it's a good enough deal for me. They get to be billionaires by squeezing out every possible dollar, cutting every possible corner they can, and exploiting every loophole that they can. Um, and, and that's what the fans don't see. They just see these are players playing a game that I love, and they're getting paid a fair – that's the other part is, you know, you can talk about fair wages. This is not about a living wage. It's about a fair deal, but it's not about a living wage. And that's why people can't seem to identify with it sometimes. Yeah. I, so so you're saying that basically in baseball that the owners are Putin and that the players are Ukraine. Ukraine is that it? I'm not going – Putin, Ukraine on anything. I'm just, I, I'm saying that the owners, I, I will say this, I don't have an issue 
necessarily calling ownership the oligarchs of baseball. Um, I like that. But yeah. uh, I, I, listen, if 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 the players do get all this this stuff, and they they didn't get um, more, uh, they didn't get earlier free agency, and they didn't get. Um, uh, um, uh, earlier arbitration for some guys, but they did get significant bonuses for the pre-arb guys and did get salary increases of, of significant dollars for the pre-arb guys. Yeah, I think that, that that they've done their job. I also just wonder if if the numbers are going to come out where they're at. I just have to ask, you know, why these guys couldn't have done this in November, gotten this done and actually had an offseason. It just seems to smack of baseball and the whole idea of we're going to try and win a negotiation. They want Somebody's going to say that they won this negotiation, but they lost an entire offseason. They have put off a, a, a wave of fans. Nobody's going to sit back and celebrate that a deal is done. They lost a lot of momentum with that whole free frenzy of, of signings uh, that happened right before December 1. I mean, it's... You know, the, the Rangers are the prime example, right? I mean, they signed Marcus Simeon and, and Corey Seager, and they had all of two hours to basically promote those guys, and that was it. Well, we can promote them now, it looks like. Uh, so let's let's look at this. If the if it is deal done, uh, the deal is done, uh, and if there are going to be, let's say, 12 playoff teams now, uh, doesn't this speed up the the Rangers' rehab? Don't, you know, doesn't it, if they're going to continue to pull out their checkbook – and sign all of these, uh, assign more free agents. Do the Rangers have a viable shot at the postseason? Well, I mean, you're you're increasing. If you increase it to twelve, you're only increasing the field by two this year um, in each league. I, I don't think it. I don't think it accelerates their plan any because I think the Rangers still feel like. Look, we we're not. It's not just about getting in the tournament. We want to be in a position where we, we go deep. Um, and if you're just chasing the the fifth and sixth wild card spots, uh, I don't think you're building you're you're building a great team. It does put them in the in the position that you know if 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 they have a good start this year, um, that maybe they do add a couple of, of 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 nice pieces, and maybe they view the season in a little bit different light than they they they, they previously would have. I just don't think it makes them go, all right, we're all in because there's two extra playoff spots. So are they going to try to uh, sign Clayton Kershaw? I think they would have tried to sign Clayton Kershaw regardless. I mean, I, that is, that's a, if, if he's available to the Rangers and he's healthy, that's a no brainer for them on a number of fronts. Not the least of which is given whatever alienation baseball has created with the community, you can't do much better for a representative than to have a hometown kid uh, who's one of the greatest ever, uh, who still lives here and is involved in this community, taking the mound for you every fifth day. I, I think that would be something that people would really actually celebrate. How much of a, uh, of a chance do you give that? I still give it I still give it no better than fifty percent because I think there's I think there's three elements involved here. Um, I, I think that the there's always a possibility he goes back to the Dodgers. I think there's a possibility that maybe if if the arm is not great, I don't think Clayton would would sign with somebody this year, and I think he'd rehab it all year and, and take it easy on himself. So so there's three options here, and and so maybe fifty percent actually represents the the a majority or, or the plurality. Um, but I, I don't. I wouldn't say it's a definite that, that Clayton Kershaw is going to sign with the Rangers. Then what else will the Rangers do uh, to, as far as adding personnel? They're going to have to add a starting pitcher or two. Um, I think they've got to get a a, a a bat for the outfield somewhere. The the outfield still seems like it's a little bit scattered. Um, uh, but but yeah, I mean, regardless of what Clayton does, they're going to have to add at least one more pitcher. I think that's the biggest. That's the biggest thing for me is right now the rotation is John Gray and Dane Dunning, and I, I think Taylor Hearn has put a leg up for himself somewhere in the rotation, but that's it's a thin rotation. You know, the, the four and five spots. If 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 Taylor's in your rotation, he should probably be pitching four or five this year. He shouldn't be pitching three. Um, 
the other guys are not established, and I don't feel great about where they're at in terms of of of, of, of grabbing rotation spots. And you're just going to need some innings. You're going to need some innings to, especially if you've got Kershaw, you know, because I think you're going to monitor Kershaw's inning workload pretty tightly this year. So uh, I, I think another starting pitcher is going to be right at the top of the list for the Rangers. What would you think of the possibility that the Rangers would make a couple of signings for starting pitchers, knowing that these are guys that just get them to the all-star break and hoping that a Jack Leiter or Cole Wynn might be in the rotation in the second half of the season? I don't expect Jack Leiter in the rotation this season. Um, At all? But I, I don't, know. I, I, I mean, the guy's not pitched a professional game yet. Um, I, I do think that Cole Wynn is a possibility sometime this year. And listen, right now I'm still I'm I'm not I'm not convinced on AJ Alexi or Glenn Otto just because you know they had rough finishes to last year, but they could have good first halves, and the Rangers could say they're ready to really to to really um, establish themselves in the rotation. But yeah, I, I think it's it's very possible the Rangers add a guy that kind of you know with the idea that he's not necessarily going to be there all year either. He's he's a guy that they could trade at the deadline, spin off or that they could just basically get us in the dogs of war barking at Evan Grant's door. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Uh, David, there's anything you'd like to, while Evan rounds up the, 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 the cattle there in, in, the, in his old house, is there anything you'd like to say about the Rangers this year? No, not at the moment. <laughs> Clearly, Bonnie was not very impressed with uh, the Rangers' rotation. No. Um, but we we talked it out. Um, it was also our the solar panels for our generator arrived. Uh, that's that's what they were barking at because we're planning here to be ready to go off the grid whenever we get cyber warfare or the next electrical storm, ice storm. We're we're going to be prepared. So. That is so great. Yeah. Unbelievable. Do you think I can operate the solar panels, Kevin? What, no. what chances do you give it at? <laughs> no, no chance at all. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up there on the roof and be fiddling with them all the time, okay? I uh, will, that, particularly that'd... in a lightning storm. Yeah, that'd be great. Just to finish that up, I mean, I I, I think that there's, there's need for pitching. There's going to be some growth from those guys internally, but I don't think the Rangers are ready to turn everything over to guys like Leiter real quickly they, they, they need to let him pitch a little bit this year yeah that makes sense to me all right that's going to do it for our podcast this week we appreciate y'all tuning in uh there are going to be a lot of developments here over the next few days and in the weeks and we're going to keep you up with all of them uh in in every aspect of sports as it starts to heat up around here a little bit so for everybody in here to everybody out there thanks and we'll see you next time